I'd just like Rachel and Vergus to come up, like we, Katie mentioned, it's their last Sunday with us. They uh, are moving up to Wales, uh, Vergus's job uh, moved up there, and um, they've been praying through this for how many months now? It feels like ages, a year. They've been talking with us and praying with us for a year about uh, uh, what the right decision would be, what God is saying, what God is doing, and um, so I, at first I just want to commend them for walking the process with such godly integrity and, uh, and really desiring to see what God uh, is saying and doing. Every single moment, even until the exchange, they said, God, even if it hasn't, because we had them around last night, so I know that it's, it's what they said. God, even if it's not what you want before we exchange, finish it so that we don't go. But they know that there's a sense of God's call. Not, um, I think Rachel, if I don't, you don't mind me saying, the, uh, uh, her mention to me was like, you know, when God said to Abraham, go out to a place I will show you. They kind of sense that to God. They know God's in it. They've prayed it through with us. They've worked, walked it through, but don't quite know exactly what it looks like. And, um, but they were leading home group until this, this last week. And so I want to commend them. That's how you do it. If God ever moves you anywhere, remember this couple as one of the many couples, but remember this couple and how they finished well being with us. And celebrate that. And that's the example. You know when the word says, follow me as I follow Christ? In this instance, follow them as they followed Christ in this journey. Hmm? Not to Wales. Yeah, you're not allowed to go to Wales. <laughs> it's bad enough that they're going. But, um, so, but I really want to just commend you. But I also wanted to thank you for everything that you've invested in the life of this church, in our family, in us. It's just been absolutely wonderful and a huge privilege to have you here. And... Um, We've told them that they can always move back. The same as what we've told their sons when they were moving away. So um, is there anything you guys want to say? Do you want to share the scripture that, that, that you brought? Uh, yeah. Get that. Is there anything you want to share? Yeah, there is a verse in scripture which says that, you know, you hem me in behind and before, and uh, you have laid your hand upon me. <clears throat> Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty for me to attain. <clears throat> That has been our experience, actually. You know, God has been holding us, and uh, and it's, it's a huge privilege to see to have that comfort, the absolute comfort that God, God's love in our hand is in us, uh, with us, actually. Also, I specifically want to thank the church because five years before when we moved in, we felt very much at home. You know, we felt immediately as part of the family, and everyone in the church has been absolutely brilliant in. And welcoming us and supporting us, and, and also it's been a, a huge privilege. And I specifically want to thank James and Lisa, honestly, for for your prayers, for your support, and all your love, you know, you know, for the past five years actually. So really grateful. And our our sincere prayer is that God will fulfill His purpose in this church, you know, and take us to the heights where God wants us to be. Um, yeah, I will share that in a minute. Um, just. I said to James and Lisa, and he won't. Um, last Sunday, um, we did, when we moved, we didn't have any plan to move from here. We thought we were going to be here forever. You know, and, and I know in my, our life, God always gives surprises at the right time. Um, so we don't know why we are moving. And, well, so an extent, yes, because um, anyway, um, when I heard it, I was very upset and very uncertain, you know. And then I was really praying, and um, God, 
you know, just brought this example because most of you know that we have two boys, and um, and especially when Thomas moved away. He was with us two years, and it was hard with the Ezra going away and all that stuff. And God said to me, like, yes, you know, your boys are not staying with you, but that doesn't mean that they are, you know, no part of it. And I just felt a lot of comfort that, yes, we are physically not being here, but I just feel, and my boys will always say that, this is our church, you know, and, and, and I can say with all heart, with, 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 from my, the bottom of my heart. And James and Lisa, that uh, we could promise, definitely say, uh, from a spiritual growth, this church has invested so much in us, and that could be a reason God is moving us for a purpose we don't know. But we have to wait and see what he has in store for us. And so everyone in this church that um, we are a big part in our life, and you're always our family, and um, you're always welcome. And anytime, you know, please do come, and, you know, we love to have you. And I just want to share this word, um, Acts uh, chapter 4, verse 12. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven to given mankind by which we must be saved. And as I was just worshiping, and I just felt the Lord was asking, and it's interesting, all the songs today, it was just about the name of Jesus, and that song said, Behold Him, and I felt the Lord was asking, what do we understand when we say, Behold Him? How does that actually outwork in our daily life? And especially the time and age that we are living, there are so many things in the face of the earth, especially, I just have this word for all the young people, there are so many names, there are so many things, there are so many ideas and so many good things, but Bible very clearly says, and from you know our own personal experience, there is no other name, whatever the challenge, whatever the situation is, whatever the circumstance, like one and said, you know, the only one name you and I need, that is the name of Jesus, and because he says, he has given everything, he has given us everything for life and godliness, that means that everything includes everything, nothing he has left us, you know, so that, I just pray that each one of us for our life and the life of the church, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord, give us that revelation and understanding. What is it to mean to behold the name of Jesus? Behold the name of Jesus in our workplaces. Behold the name of Jesus in our daily life. Behold the name of Jesus in our family. Behold the name of Jesus in the life of our children so that he may be glorified. And in, in the Old Testament, you know, when Israelites lived among the heathens that is ever truly a God is living among this people and I just pray let it be the testimony of Christ Jesus truly a God people around this church people who come associated with the church will recognize truly a God is living among this people I can sit down <laughs> um, Right, do you stand if you're comfortable standing? And can I ask some of the folks to come up? We're just going to pray for them this morning as a family. So if you want to come up, you're welcome to come up. We're just going to pray over them this morning. (coughs) 
Lord, we just thank you for what a privilege and delight it is, Lord, to know Vorgus and Rachel and their family, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for their heart, just so after you, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, you have gone before them, that you have a special plan in store for them. And we thank you that we are included. Even though we won't be with them, Lord, we will be with them in spirit. And we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for our family that is going places. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, for this special time together. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. We just pray a blessing upon them in Jesus' name. Um, during worship, I felt that I had a word for you. I saw um, one of those fighter jets, and uh, Vergus, you were you were the one in the the cockpit, and the two of you just worked so well together as a team. And this jet was going somewhere, and even though you didn't quite necessarily know where it was, you did not need to fear because God has prepared you, and God has given you everything that you need for every situation and every eventuality. And I also believe that God gave me that picture because there's a speed about that. And I felt that whatever is that is in the next stage for you, God is going to bring it about quickly. And um, there's also a perspective that I feel that the Lord is going to give you, that you will see things from God's perspective, from a different perspective. And so, Lord Jesus, I just thank you for them. I thank you for the blessing that they are. I thank you for the love that they have for you and that they're such an amazing example for you. And we just trust, Lord Jesus, that you've gone before them. Like Rachel said, you have hand them in behind and in front, Lord Jesus, that you have amazing plans for them. And that you have equipped them and protect them in every single way. We just bless them, Lord. So, Father, this morning we thank you for the deposit that you have left in us as a church through this couple and family. And, Father, we, just as you once prayed, we pray a blessing. We pray your anointing. We pray that you would protect, provide, lead, and guide them as they go. Thank you for them, Lord. We celebrate with them. Although it's hard to see them go, we celebrate with them and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name. Amen. Wonderful. If you have any words or anything that you feel from the Lord for them, please won't you write it down and give it to them afterwards. Uh, Children, you may go through while I switch microphones. And it's good to see Will and Taryn and little Joshua in the room. So you can see them afterwards. Fantastic. That's good. Well, if you're visiting, um, thanks for coming. It's slightly different because of all of these things that go on, but that's what happens in families. Um, Sometimes things happen that we have to do, and you're welcome to be part of that. So this morning, we're going to carry on, and we're going to do the final in our series on Titus. I think it's, um, what, week nine, eight or nine? Something like that. It's only a three a, a book with th- uh, three chapters, but um, it's been a lot. So I wanted to finish this morning as we go through that, uh, and then lining up for next week, and then Christmas uh, coming up. So I'm just going to pray, and then we, uh, launch straight into it. Father, I thank you for your word, that your word is true and unchanging. This morning, as we look at your word, I pray that with hearts open wide, we will hear what you have to say, and we would be transformed. Come and speak with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've looked at the whole series, and this morning I want to kind of draw all of those together and end. But we started started off in the middle of the book and then flipped back to the beginning, purely because of what I felt was really important for us to understand uh, about the grace of God. Because you must remember that as letters were written, they were written to be read in the entirety, uh, not studied little bit by little bit, first and foremost. So we kind of had an overview, then back to the beginning and had a look through those things. But I want to 
to start again at one of the points that were incredibly important for us to remember, and you'll see how it ties in this morning in Titus chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And it speaks about the fact that God, because remember Paul was writing to Titus, who was on the island of Crete, which was a mess of a place to live. They were known as gluttons and liars and evil brutes and everything else, and they believed in all these other gods. And he starts off by reminding them about the fact that these are the promises from the God who does not lie. And that's so important for us to remember that the God who does not lie is the God who is faithful and true. And we know even at the end we see a picture in Revelation of Jesus who, who, who in his return is one who is called the faithful and true. And what he says he will do, he will do. What he's promised will happen, will happen. Because he is God and is unchanging and is faithful to all his promises. And the world we live in needs to understand that. Uh, We need to understand that, but the world we live in needs to understand there is one. There is one who is faithful and true and is unchanging. There's so much that is going on around the world that changes, and this one says this thing, and that one says that thing, and uh, yet God remains the same and is faithful to everything that he says. And that's why it's important that actually we as the church understand that And declare that because it is through us, the church, that God would reach the world. That's his plan. I don't know why, but that is his plan. I think I would come up with some other ideas because of sometimes how churches behave. But that's God's plan, that through us, the church, the the gospel message of the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, this true and faithful God, is preached throughout the world. Plus, it's that nature and character of Jesus that we understand as we encounter and follow him that should be reflected in us as the church. And as we've looked at this book of Titus, we've seen all these different things and, and, and looked at how those aspects and those elements and the things that God teaches us through this letter are for every single one of us. Not one group or just leaders or just them or just every single one of us, and how we to live those out as uh, agents of transformation in the world we live in. That through us, this world will be transformed, not by anything we've done, but by everything that God does in us and through us. And that transformation doesn't take place in us becoming, having cultural wars with the world around us, or pointing fingers, or, or, or on the other side, becoming so much like those who don't know Jesus that no one knows the difference but that we declare the truth of who he is as we wisely participate in the society we live in to bring about the truth of who Jesus is, built on the foundation of him, the unchangeable truths of the promises of the one who is faithful and true. Make sense? So every single one of us who are a believer and and believe in, in, in God and understand and have a relationship with him, it is through his work in us and through us that the world comes to know who he is. And then as we looked through, we looked through chapter 1 and 2, and we saw that there was this clear contrast between that environment in the island of Crete and how the church should be. And the same is true today. There There is a clear contrast between the world we live in and what we as believers are called to be and how we're called to live. I know that it doesn't always look like that, but that's what Scripture says. 
And that's what we pursue, and that's what we aim for. And, uh, and if you look at the first two chapters of, if, of Titus, if, if, if that was about how a Christian household should look or a new believer should look, and this is who we are and who we to be, then as we go on to the third chapter and the final one, it's kind of more, this is how a, it gives a picture of a new humanity. This is how we're to live in the world around us. You remember we, we looked at um, all those different aspects with regard to households and families, and Tim did a brilliant job last week preaching about how we to be believers in the workplace and reflect him and how we to live those out. But this, this morning, <coughs> sorry, as we tied up together at the end, it gives us a picture of this is what the new humanity is should be. And now that's not some weird philosophical uh, sounds it as I say I'm thinking that sounds a bit weird. Uh, but what I'm meaning is this is how we're supposed to be as believers. And yes, we're all in a journey and some of us are in different places from each other. But we pursue what God's called us to do and how he's called us to live based on what the truth we read in the Bible, not what the world around us says. And yes, we make mistakes and we mess up, but we we have the grace and the mercy of God. That's why we started off looking at that, that we are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. Not by anything that we've done, but by everything that he's done. And it's a, a, it's a, a demonstration of his generous love to us who believe. And so as we look at chapter 3, we'll see that actually this is about how, how we to live in a completely different way to the world around us. So if you have a Bible in whatever form that is, uh, Won't you turn with me to Titus? It's in the New Testament after Timothy uh, and one book before Hebrews. And Titus chapter 3, I'm going to read from verse 1 to 10 and then we'll look through those things. Titus chapter 3 from verse 1 to 10 says this Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate and to show true humility towards all men. At one time you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy and being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want, you to, I want to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person, person once, and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful, and he is condemned. Some of those words are quite stern and harsh, but they're true. And what we see here is that we should be model citizens in the world around us. It starts off by saying obey authorities and, uh, and the laws. And so actually as believers, we should be those who set an example as to how to live obedient lives. Unless, of course, the laws contradict Scripture. 
The only time we are to ever break a law in the country we live in, because this is what Scripture says, we to live obedient, is if that law contradicts the truth of the God's Word. And then, when we do that, we would happily face the consequences for breaking that law. See, when in the New Testament, when uh, the, the, the disciples were told not to preach the gospel, and they shouldn't do that, and they mustn't use the name of Jesus and everything else, and, and they said to their accusers and those who were, who were uh, condemning them, saying that actually we must obey Jesus, we must obey God more than we must obey men. And then they were arrested, they were flogged, they were beaten, they were all sorts of stuff, and they counted that as a privilege and a joy. You see, when we look at that, we think, well, I don't know if I can count that as a joy, but what we, I need to understand is they knew the consequence for obedience to God and were willing to face the consequence because it was more important to obey God. And that's why when we see Scripture, when Scripture says this is what we to do, this is how we to live, and we obey that, and if the government says you can't do that, like there are people that... We, we work with on, in nations, and I've been to nations, where it's illegal for me to preach the gospel. And I've had to go and think, well, if I preach the gospel because that's what God says I must do, then I have to face the consequence if I'm imprisoned or chucked out or whatever else. And you willingly do that. Why? Because we obey God first. And every other thing, actually, we need to live as model citizens in the nation and where we go, obeying what the law of the land is. It's this weird thing, I don't quite understand why, but almost from a young age, when we go through school and everything, you know, it seems to be less desirable to be the good student, or the obedient one, or the one who doesn't get into trouble. You know what I'm saying? Or is it just the schooling that I've been to? It's like... Well, it's almost like frowned upon by friends and everything else if you obey everything. And yet that's what God says, that we to obey the law, we to do what is right. And the same as you grow older, I think the, the playing ground just, just changes, but the attitudes are the same. If you read movies, look at them read movies, look, well, sometimes you have to read a movie if it's in a different language. Um, but if we, if we watch movies and read things, who is it that they elevate? The ones who break the law. The ones who try and get around it. And somehow in our warped society, that's what seems to be elevated, was that we need, to be, we need to be like the bad guy. It's quite interesting when you watch a movie and it's all based on their perspective, because you kind of do see it from a different perspective. But the truth of the matter is this. The Bible says that as believers, we are to live obedient to the laws of the land that we live in and respecting authority. In James, uh, sorry, in Tim, 1 Timothy 2 verse 2, it says that we to pray for those in authority. In 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17, says that we need to respect those in authority. And if we to live in a way that points people to Jesus, because our lives, our lives are based on the foundation of Jesus, then we need to live his way, which is going to be different from the world around us. But that's going to be living as model citizens, as it were. Be, be, he goes on to say, be ready to do whatever is good. Can I ask you a question that you don't have to answer? I think it's a rhetorical question. Are you ready to do whatever is good in every situation? Like Tim spoke last week, in your work situation, in your household, in, your, in, in, in the community we live in, are, are you willing and ready to do whatever is good? Later on in verse 
8 of the same chapter, it says, when he says, I want to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing good. You see, as, as believers, we to be those who point to Jesus and live as model citizens, looking for opportunities to do good and doing it. Not just think, well, there's a great opportunity. I hope someone else does it. It's like, no, there's a great opportunity. Let me go and do this. Am I ready to make a difference? And, and you see, in that way, we become agents of transformation in the world we live in. Because we're called to be here to make a difference. And it's not based on what we think would be right or what we enjoy doing, but based on the truth of the gospel. Just as Rachel said, the name of Jesus. One of the, uh, Katie brought a, word, brought a contribution to me during, during the meeting, which kind of tied in exactly what Werner brought uh, about um, people responding. And, and the picture was like of, of a train station. I think he said Grand Central Station. It's because she's American. It's Grand Central and not, not Paddington or something. But um, kind of all the trains going out from the station. But actually, and that kind of represents us going into the world and the ministries and everything else. But in order for us to do that, we need to receive from him everything that he has and be whole and healed and exactly what uh, the contribution Werner brought that, and the, uh, the response that was brought. And that, that's why I didn't bring the two together because actually what Katie was describing was exactly what God is wanting to do and was doing. That actually as we receive from him, then we can go out. Go out into the world, whether it be in Crawley and, or beyond in order to make a difference. And we do that when we live his way, uh, uh, eager to do good and being agents of transformation through that. goes on in verse 2 to say, Slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, showing humility. See, in the, uh, and, and I said to Lisa when we were preparing this, it's quite an interesting passage to come up in the midst of everything that's going on and we see in media but you kind of have to think well do I use as an example is that just slandering those who slandering others I don't know anyway but what scripture says is that we must slander no one and it's such a common thing for us to read in tabloids in social media Netflix whatever's and everything else of people slandering others that seems to be the default of the world around us yet Jesus says don't do that don't slander others. Build them up. You see, when we slander someone, it brings, it's to damage them. It's to hurt them. And actually, unfortunately, the more someone slanders someone else, it actually reveals more about what's going on in their heart than the issue that has happened. There's a, a, a proverb. Uh, interestingly, it's, a, it's an old Russian proverb that um, says this, that slander is like coal. It either dirties your hands or burns them. And I think that's an incredibly insightful little thing. Because to slander someone, you never, ever get away clean or unhurt as the person speaking maliciously about someone else. It damages you. It dirties your hands or burns your hands. Slander and gossip, you could say, are bedfellows and we should avoid both of them because they are so damaging and we see that in the world and where, where he says that we to live differently we to be good citizens we to obey we to not slander it so that actually the world sees that there's a difference scripture tells us that we to love to encourage to build up 
to protect, to forgive, to be teachable, to speak well of others. And yet most of the things that we see in the world is slander and gossip that damages, hurts, destroys. And maybe we should be those that not only avoid slander and gossip, but also avoid listening, reading or watching slander or gossip. Because that then affects us. Remember how we looked a few weeks ago that, and tied with some of the other scriptures, that we're not defiled by what we physically eat as in food because it just passes through the body, but it's what we eat with our eyes and our ears and our mind that actually defiles our heart. And so if we do walk with purity, being an example in the world, we need to walk with purity in respect to this. In the workplace, Tim, again, Tim picked up on it last week. Office gossip or office whatever you want to call it is damaging. Also in the church, it's damaging. The world needs us to set an example. Because if we don't, who will? And we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit with us and in us that we can actually do these things and make a difference because it's not us, it's him in us. So let's be those who walk with integrity in how we speak. Make sure that our words build up, encourage, strengthen, edify rather than break down. There's enough of that in the world. We're not called to live like that. We're called to live how God said. And then this next section in, chapter, in, in, in verse 3, uh, it kind of breaks into two parts for me. And you'll see what it says. It says, uh, At one time you too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and then carries on. And then in verse 4 it says, But, then, or, but when the kindness and love of God in Christ Jesus arrived. That section, just following that, you could say, one writer puts it like it's a, it's, a, um, it's a gospel poem. He goes through how we are saved by grace. If you just read it, what we've actually done is, uh, uh, it says this, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior so that having been justified by his grace we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. There are two sides to this. One is but when and before that is you were once. And what uh, uh, we've done I've asked Ella to do it for me there's a whole load of these at the back. It's this scripture. It's this scripture. Titus chapter 3. Yeah, you put Titus chapter 1. Ooh. Anyway. Come, we're guillotine the bottom scripture reference off. It says Titus chapter 1 verse 3 to 7. It's actually Titus chapter 3 verse 7, but they're all at the back there. Just slice the thing off at the bottom. But the scripture's correct. Just because it's a really good reminder for us to have. Of this lays out what the scripture and the gospel is. But it's important for us to understand these two aspects of it. The first is, pertains to us and our lives 
And then the second part pertains to how we respond to others. And the first is this, is that it starts off by saying, you were once, or once you were. And he goes on to say, lost, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of things. Other scriptures in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 says that once we were far away. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says once we were in darkness. Colossians chapter 1 verse 21 says once we were alienated from God. 1 Peter 2.10 says that once we were not a people. There was once we were. Once you were those things. Once you were not a people. Once you were apart from God. Once you were alienated. Once you were enslaved and bitter. But then. But when. The love and the kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us. Not because of anything we've done, but because of his grace and his love and his mercy. His kindness and his love outworked through the washing and the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. And it's a, it's a rebirth and a renewal, which is, speaks of a starting again. And there's this thing that it's so important for us to understand that though we once were like that, when we've come to Jesus, we are now like this. Once we were separated, Ephesians chapter 2, those scriptures go on to say this, but now you are brought near, reconciled to God. Once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Colossians chapter 1, once you were alienated from God, but now you've been reconciled and presented holy. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You see, it's important for us to understand that what we were is not what we are. And Ephesians goes on to tell us that we are seated with him so that he would show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ. You see, his kindness and his love shows that he is moved by grace to save us. It's so important for us to understand the kindness and the love of God. Because of his kindness and his love, he was moved by grace to save us rather than condemn and abandon. And so often we can live feeling like we're condemned and abandoned, but the truth is once we were, but now we're not. Because of his kindness and his love and his grace. He expressed, expressed his, through his grace, his grace that, remember we looked at the first week, that saves us through Jesus, that empowers us through his Holy Spirit to live as he's called us to live. And so we need to stop looking at how we were and start living how we now are. You see, so often we can look at everything around us and we can be consumed by what was. But let's look and see who we now are. And another way you could put it like this is don't look at what you haven't got. Look at who you have got, which is Jesus. You see, we can be so distracted by the things of the world and we think, well, we haven't got that and I want that and... But actually, who do we have? Not what, who. And that's Jesus. 
And so important for us that we live with him as our focus. That's why I just loved the, the songs this morning. Like Rachel said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about him. And so it's important for us to understand that once we were, but for the love and kindness of God, we are now. And live as he's called us to live. And the second part where it's not really about us, but about how we respond to others, is so important is that our default, and too often, we tend to look at others and resp- resp- respond to others, <coughs> whether they are believers or not believers, based on where we now are, not where we once were. What I mean is this, is that apart from the grace of God, those who are unsaved are no worse off than you were before you met Jesus. And too often we treat people, or even maybe we don't treat them, but we think of people based on where we are today rather than understanding actually where we've come from and where we were. And yet we're supposed to be those who extend the grace of God to others. So don't let our godly hatred for sin be translated into ungodly hatred for sinners. Because too often that happens. And as believers, we need to love people as God loves them. Love them as Jesus loves them. Speak as Jesus speaks Embrace as Jesus embraced. Cares for as he cares for. Show kindness as he showed kindness. And remember that but for the grace of God and salvation, they are nowhere different from how you were. If we live with that, then we can actually see, then we become the light of the world. And we become the people and the vehicles through which he, he reaches those. One author put it like this an English chap who leads a church up in London. Imagine what the streets of our cities would look like if people believed that the churches were places that they could find the love and mercy of Jesus instead of self-righteous Christians. It's not saying that we are all self-righteous. What he's saying is, I know we don't live for the world, we live for him. But as we live as Jesus calls us to live, there are perceptions of, imagine how our cities would, imagine how Crawley would be different if those who are unsaved actually believed that when they walked through these doors and encountered us, they would find the love and mercy of Jesus. Yet too often, what they think is that if they walk in, they're going to find judgment and self-righteousness. Oh, how much we have to do to live God's way, to show his love and grace. I need to end quickly. From verse 9 to 10, it speaks about us, about a divisive person. It says this, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless Warn a divisive person once and then a second time and then have nothing to do with him. And that's because actually we need to make every effort 
to do and to be those and say things that lead to mutual edification and, and unity rather than things that lead to divisiveness. There's so much in Scripture that speaks about the unity of the body and that each one of us have a part to play and we to be build into that. You see, where there's divisiveness, that's a heart attitude again. There's so much in Scripture. It can purely be brought down. We had this discussion in home group this week. Well, I think it was this week. Um, of, of the fact that it actually comes down to heart attitude most of the time. And the, here he says there's all these different things. Don't let the, the things of the law and all those things become divisive. You see, there's room in diversity for, for, for unity. Now, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not saying is that we need to contend for unity of the Spirit. And there are some things, that, there's a lot, that we need to stand in agreement on that is doctrinal truth that is unchanging, that we need to stand firm on the foundation of what the Bible says, not compromising on those things. But actually, there's a whole lot of other stuff that the Scriptures use the term, the, those things that are, um, where did I write it down? Those things that are... are, are, are that, that give room for difference of opinion on. Like things, like Paul uses the example of eating certain foods and drinking certain things, and um, then all the whole things about end-time theology. And so there's a lot that actually we should have robust conversations of to wrestle with, to come to a, a, a solution of actually this is what we understand Scripture so that we would grow. But don't let those discussions and those things detract and become areas of division. Have those discussions that, that actually help us and lead us to a greater understanding of the truth and the knowledge of God. But don't let those things become areas that actually are divisive. You see, they're, they're truths that we have to believe that are unchanging. And the world is telling us you can't believe this, you can believe that. That's nonsense. We read the scriptures. What does the Bible say? That's what we believe. And those things that are emphatic and clear, we say that's what it is. Salvation by grace. All loads of different things. But like you said, genealogies and controversies and kind of interesting things of this perspective. And Don't let there be division. Don't let there be division. A divisive heart just brings destruction. That's why the... the the dealing with it is so clear. Warn them once, warn them a second time, and if they still don't listen, have nothing to do with them. Because actually, if we don't deal with it like that, it's like a disease that creeps in and destroys. And you just have to visit our home group once or twice, and you'll see that we have very robust conversations and discussions But the point is not to fall out with each other. The point is so that we can wrestle with the word so that it becomes a reality and a truth that we understand. And we're still good friends. It's the issue of the heart. And he's saying, be those who give ourselves to building unity. Romans chapter 14, 19 says this, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Unity of the body. And so as we end off, remember these things from the whole of the book. No matter what we might think or no matter what the world might think or no matter what we might see about our town, God sees this town as part of his strategy to impact 
the world with the truth of the gospel. Really doesn't matter what anybody else says about Crawley. God has placed us here, every believer here, for the sake of his kingdom to be advanced. Remember that. It's strategic. Airport, port close to Europe, all those things. Because in God's plan, there's a plan for this place that believers here would go to the nations of the world and preach the gospel starting on their doorstep. The second is that we are called to be agents of transformation to announce the hope and eternal life and the promises that come through from the God who doesn't lie. We are to be those that he uses in the streets. And we need to show what it means to be a believer through a life that we live based on the foundations of God, the truth of his word, putting Jesus at the center of everything that we do, pointing to him through a life that is devoted to Jesus, building up for the common good of others so that the world would see the message, the beauty, the kindness, the grace, and the love of God eternal. It calls us to step up into what God's called us to be and who he's called and created us to be for his glory and his, his, his praise. And we can do it, how? By the power of the Holy Spirit because we are saved by grace through Jesus. We are empowered by grace through the Holy Spirit to live as God's called us to live, which isn't always what is seen but is what is true to the word of God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that in all these things, you don't just say, well, this is what you need to do and leave us alone. But you walk with us, you help us, you lead us, you guide us. And Lord, I pray for every single one of us that as we pursue you with everything that we have, as we put you, Jesus, at the center of everything that we do, everything that we are, that you by your spirit would work in us and bring transformation, that we'd be those who build others up, who set an example, who, who, who lead people to you, who, who show the kindness and the love that you've shown us to others, that we would not be judgmental, we would not be critical, we would not be slanderous, but we would be full of grace and mercy and love as we stand and walk on the absolute truth of your word in an uncompromising way that brings people to you. Lord Jesus, I pray for every single one of us here, those who, those who are part of the church who are not here, that we would be salt and light in this town, this nation, and beyond for your glory and for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.